are uh, new with us, uh, we're in the probably about the fourth or fifth week here of a series called Jesus in Genesis, and kind of taking a look at the presence of Christ and his ministry and the foreshadowing of the things that he would do from the very first book of the Bible. <clears throat> and um, so we've made our way up to Genesis chapter 12 today. Um, and basically, uh, there was about 400 years between Noah and the flood and the life and calling of Abraham, um, who we're going to take a look at pretty in depth here for the next three weeks or so. And in between those two stories, um, last week we heard about the story of the Tower of Babel. And uh, my friend Brad came and and spoke and kind of unpacked that for you guys last week. And he said the story was like a mirror that we could hold up um, to our own lives, because honestly, not much has changed with humans in the past several thousand years. And it was a story of people trying to find their own way to God, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to find security and comfort in brick and mortar and the tangible things of this world. But as we saw, God didn't allow them to succeed. He confused their language. He scattered them throughout the earth in hopes that eventually they would turn their hearts towards him. And so that was the world that Abraham was born into. It was a pagan world where very few acknowledged or worshipped their creator. Humans were striving to do things in their own strength, trying to make their own way according to their own plans. And as we come to Genesis chapter 12, the story turns again. And God does something really um, uh, just unexpected He chooses a particular people for himself, and he does it through the call of one man named Abraham. And Abraham's descendants would be the nation of Israel, out of which would be born the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, a little over 2,000 years later. And we see evidence of this connection from the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So once again, then, to understand Jesus better, we need to get a grasp on who is this Abraham guy and what did he do? So we're going to take a look at that. I want you to open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. So initially, when we're introduced to Abraham, his name is Abram, and God changes his name later, but for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to call him Abraham throughout here. So verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So through this person of Abraham and his descendants that would become the nation of Israel, 
God is announcing into this world that, as we've seen over the last few chapters here, that is filled with turmoil and trials and chaos and floods and scatterings and judgment, that another way of life was possible. And really, it was just a return to the garden uh, and, and the original intent that God had for relationship between him and humanity. It was a life marked by communion with God, with the favor and the blessing of the Lord on their life, unmerited favor, not anything that they had done to deserve. And Abraham, if you read in the New Testament, he's mentioned throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, on several, uh, many occasions, on more than one occasion, he's referred to as a friend of God. We see verses in the Old Testament, like um, Isaiah 41.8, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. And in the New Testament, James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. He was called a friend of God, not because he was perfect, but because when he was called, when he was chosen, he willingly obeyed. And we should pay attention to Abraham's calling because God is asking and he's calling each one of us to the same life, communion with him, marked by unmerited favor and blessing, extended to us despite our shortcomings and our sin, right, based on his favor towards us, every one of us was born enemies of God. But through his saving act on the cross, we have the opportunity to become his children and even his friend. So as Christians, we are then linked to Abraham as well. Galatians 3.29, Paul puts it like this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In this book that I've been reading called um, The Gospel in Genesis, the author writes this. A Christian is someone who has done, in effect, the very thing that Abraham did. So what did Abraham do? Well, much like all of us, he was born into a culture that wasn't paying very much attention to God. People were searching and, and, for, and doing things their own way. But in the midst of his life, just like in ours, God broke into that. And he disturbed Abraham. And he interrupted his life. And he called him to go into a new direction. And it was a troubling and challenging call. Look at what God asked him to do. Back in Genesis 12, he says, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So in other words, he says, I want you to leave everything behind. All the people you know, everything you've done, the place that you've called home. And go where? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. Okay? God wasn't very specific, was he? And that's what makes Abraham's obedience so compelling. It's not like he said, hey, I'm going to send you someplace, but for now, why don't you just go over to Hawaii and just hang out there for a while and just await further instructions, right? We would all sign up for that calling, right? Yeah, I'll go there. I'll wait. Sure. The unknown, no problem, right? Hebrews 11, which talks a lot about Abraham, says this, 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So God leads him to Canaan, or modern-day Israel. 
which he promises to give to Abraham's descendants. But there's just one problem. The Canaanites are living there. That seems like an issue. It'd be like if God said, hey, I'm going to give you this house over there on Ashland Avenue. So I want you to go there. But somebody's living there currently. And so, you know, you just go outside and kind of like, I don't know, put my sleeping bag down, hang out here. You know, the people are asking you, why are you here? God's going to give me your place. I don't know how that's going to happen. Take it up with him, right? Awkward. Very awkward. So many questions. And so often, if you're like me, like, we want all the answers, right? We want all the ducks in the row before we obey and we move forward. We want to know exactly what we're getting ourselves into. We don't like surprises sometimes. But where's the faith in that? Abraham doesn't ask one question. In verse 4, it just says, Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Why do you think he obeyed? This is just a hypothetical question. So I don't really know the right answer. I'm just, what could possibly have gone on in his life that made him want to obey that call? Let's just take some guesses. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so maybe he looked around at the kind of history of his people And he saw a lot of people floundering, and maybe there was a certain amount of discontent and restlessness in his own heart to figure, well, I don't know what that's going to be, but it's got to be better than where I am now. There's a lot of people that follow God or start that process for that very same reason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe there's a certain amount of just carefreeness because he was getting up there in age and figured, why not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he probably had a history of interacting with God and maybe seen God was faithful at different points in his life, okay, for whatever reason. Those are all good possible scenarios. Paul said this about Abraham in Galatians 3, 6 and 7. He said, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, Okay. So I'm not sure exactly what had transpired in Abraham's life to lead him to that moment where he was willing to to pack up everything, pack up his family, move to some completely new place, some unknown land without much instruction about what to do when he got there. But I do know this. At some point, and probably at multiple points in all of our lives, God is going to do the very same thing to us. He is going to interrupt. He's going to disturb the status quo in your life, that place of security and safety that you've built for yourself. And he's going to ask you to move to a new frontier so that you will be more dependent on him. Because you see, he's a jealous God. He wants you to, to just rely on him, depend on him, He wants to be intimately connected, as we just talked about. And when he does that, once, twice, however many times it happens in your life, are you going to respond like Abraham? 
I graduated from college in 1991 <clears throat> Oops, sorry. Uh, with a teaching degree, secondary education. And so I started off on my teaching career um, as a teacher and a coach. And it wasn't very long into my first year of teaching when I realized, <clears throat> I don't think I can do this for 30 years. So, and actually, um, kind of midway through the year, maybe even about February or so, my old Young Life leader from Liberty, which is where I grew up, he called me and he's like, hey, I'm being transferred with Young Life to Lincoln, Nebraska. I think you should apply for my job. And it wasn't the first time that I'd heard that kind of sentiment kind of in my college time. A lot of people would say, you know, oh, have you thought about youth ministry or working at uh, this camp or, you know, going on staff with Young Life? And so, I mean, I'd heard those kinds of things, suggestions before about my life. And so I was like, hey, that sounds great. You know, move back to my hometown, a place I know I'm familiar with and do Young Life. That sounds exciting. So my wife and I went to the interview with the regional director of Young Life, the guy that's in charge of Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri. Um, and I remember sitting down and talking with him and telling him about my experience in ministry, my passion for kids. And, and he's like, man, yeah, it really seems like God has a call on your life. And he was kind of affirming that. And then I remember that he asked me this question that I will never forget. He said, are you ready to go anywhere for Young Life? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I thought I was applying just for this one job in my hometown, you know? And I was like, no, <laughs> no way. I mean, they could send me to Kansas of all places or something like that. Or I'm sure there's a worse place I can think of if I had more time, but... But no, really, I was just like, at that point in my life, the thought of doing something that risky, of you know, taking my wife and, and my future kids to some unknown place where you wouldn't know who our friends were going to be or family and just all the things that you were used to as a kid that grew up in Kansas City his whole life, I was like, man, I don't think so. <laughs> I basically just said no. And... Uh, I just kind of put my head down and just kept plugging away at this teaching thing. But guess what? I became more and more restless. Every single year of teaching was harder and harder to get myself up for. Until finally I got to my seventh year of teaching. And I was about halfway through that school year. It was my 13th year as a follower of Christ. And really, for the first time, I got about halfway through that year, and I was just like, you know what? <laughs> God, I surrender. I started waving the white flag. I was like, you know what? I'm tired of trying to call the shots myself, control my own path. I'm tired of just trying to kind of build up this secure little life for me. I'll go anywhere, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I picked up the phone and I called Young Life again and I said, hey, I'm ready to go wherever you need me, which meant that a couple months later I was packing up my wife and my two kids at that point and uh, moving them away from our home that I thought I was going to die in and the job I thought I was going to retire in and we moved to Raymore, Missouri, the sticks. 
But you know what? We were so at peace about that decision that we were kind of excited for the unknown. And honestly, those two years there, my wife and I look back that we spent in Raymore um, were two of the happiest years that we've ever had in our life because we knew that we had listened and that we were willing to go when God said, hey, I need you over here. So because I'd seen God be faithful through a lot of unknowns in that whole process, five years later when God said, hey, I'd like you to start a church in St. Joseph, it didn't take me very long to say yes. Even though we had no idea what that process was going to look like. I quit my job with Young Life a full two years before we ever had a service here at Wellspring because I was that sure about what God was calling us to do and that sure that he was going to provide and take care of the details and the finances and all that stuff to make it possible. So a lot had changed in my heart in five years. And I think you'll find that when you take those risks, when you step out in faith and you see God being faithful, the next time it's not so difficult. When Abraham left that culture of tower building and self-sufficient pagan worshiping way of life behind, he didn't really have a lot of mentors around him. He didn't have a lot of contemporaries to look at and say, oh, hey, there's somebody else doing that. He was kind of a pioneer. And so that's why his name is so great among the Jews even to this day. And often we find that this life that we had planned for ourselves that seemed so solid, this This great plan that we constructed in our minds of how life would work and make us happy is very limiting. Because we're holding on to so many things. And we've got so many idols and these things that we think we need in order to be happy in life. And we're trying to control our circumstances so much that our arms are so full that there's really no space to grab grab a hold of God. To cling to Jesus, we got these little fingers we're trying to pinch a little bit of Jesus with, you know, to bring him into our circle of stuff, you know? Hebrews chapter 11 is all about the heroes of our faith, the people that stepped out in sometimes risky ways to follow God, guys like Noah and Abraham and Moses and many others. And I love what the writer says in in verses 15 and 16 of that chapter. He says, if they had been thinking of the country they had left... They would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And you know, as a a 29-year-old frustrated teacher, I was longing for a better country. A place of greater obedience and trust and dependence on God. And here in a second, I just want to put up three questions. You can take a picture of them. You can write them down. I'm actually going to give you a minute or two here to just think about these. First one is, are our hearts in a posture of readiness to hear from God, to respond to him? What are we still clinging to that limits our availability to go? What do we need to repent and turn away from to make our hearts more open to following Jesus. Just write those down and just spend a minute. A lot of times, honestly, it's the first thing that comes to my mind that is the most true. So what's just the first thing that God is saying to you as you look at some of those?
Take a minute just to think about that. Are our hearts in a posture of readiness? Or are we so busy and distracted that we can't even hear the voice of God when he might be calling us? What do we still cling to that limits our availability to go? Is it kind of the plan or the, this dream you had for what your life was going to be? Maybe we're clinging to relationships or financial goals or those things that are making it difficult for us to move. What do we need to repent of and turn away from to make our hearts more open to following Christ? You know, when, when we're captives to sin, it's very hard to hear God. When we're in bondage, it's hard to be free to move. What do we need to return away from? Those are just great kind of check-in questions for us. Look at the promise that God had for him in, in verses 2 and 3 again in chapter 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation And I will bless you, I will make your name great, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He says, I I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. All those things that Abraham's uh, ancestors had been looking for at the Tower of Babel, God says, I'll do that for you. You don't have to do it on your own. And most importantly, in the midst of that, you'll be a blessing to others. If you follow, if you obey, I promise, despite all of the unknowns, you will be a blessing to others. You see, when we're living our life trying to control our circumstances and striving for security and comfort and living in fear, our influence on others is severely limited. Because we're so focused on ourselves. God says you will be a blessing. But he doesn't promise Abraham that he'll have a better home, a better salary. Or that he'll be free of trials and suffering in this new life that he's calling him to. As a matter of fact, his circumstances, temporary circumstances were pretty rough. In Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 It says this, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In other words, Abraham had come to a point in his life where he was more concerned with the eternal than with the temporary things of this world. He was completely content in a tent, but in the will of God. And it says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, Abraham's obedience to go set off a chain reaction that led to the birth of the Savior of the world through his people, Abraham's people, Jesus. You see, Abraham had to obey. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to obey. Probably hundreds of people in between Abraham and Mary had to obey. When we say yes and go, people around us are blessed because Jesus shines more brightly in our obedience and surrender than any other time in our life. And we stop hiding our light under the bushel of self-sufficiency and fear, and we start holding our light up high so that it gives light to all around us. You see, the call of God is always to come out of one world, the life of the flesh, and to move into this other world, the life of the spirit. And that's, that, that's the call to all of us. And there's the initial call. The initial call is when you hear the gospel, right? The life of Christ and Jesus' call to you is come follow me. But that call never stops. I'd been a Christian for 13 years and I'd already said yes to the call to follow Jesus. But then in 1999, I had to say yes if I hadn't said yes to that call to go do Young Life in Raymore, Missouri, then I never would have been in a place five years later to say yes to starting Wellspring. And we would not be sitting here this morning. So thank God for rescuing me from my old way of life. Amen? You see, we constantly battle our flesh We constantly face our old way of life. I want you to turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 4. It's page 1068 in your pew Bibles. And the reality of that battle is why Paul gave us these instructions in chapter 4, starting in verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, in order to freely follow and trust God, I had to put off my old self that wanted safety, right, and comfort and security And I had to put on the new self that that would trust and and be dependent on God and set my sights on a new country where the eternal things in this world became more important to me than the tangible and temporary things. Abraham believed God. Do we? Abraham obeyed God. Will we? 
Because you see, believing is manifest in movement, in action. That's why when Jesus came, he said, come, follow me, and then go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And maybe God isn't calling you into some new frontier right now, but each and every day as you spend time with him and you spend time in his word and in prayer and in communion with others so that you understand more and more the heart of God and what's important to him, we prepare ourselves. We make ourselves ready to go. Just like soldiers getting ready for battle, right? You go through basic training, you get all the instruction, and then you're ready, you're prepared. When that call says, hey, let's go overseas and and let's go do this, you're like, all right, I'm ready for this. I've been trained. If you just get called out of the pew today and say, hey, you're going to be fighting in Iraq tomorrow, that'd be a little scary, right? So the preparation and the readiness part is so important. Not because his instructions will always make sense, but because we know that he loves us, that his plans for us are good. How many people in this world right now are waiting to be blessed by God because you say yes when he calls you to go? You ever thought about that? I have no idea of knowing when I was sitting in my classroom, (laughs) restless in liberty, how many kids were going to be impacted by me going to Raymore? How many folks, kids, are going to be impacted here in St. Joe doing Young Life and, and this church? Just like my life was impacted because some mentors and some coaches and some guys before me poured into me because they said yes. And Bob Miller's life was changed because of that. And he might not be calling you to pick everything up and move to another country. He might just be saying, hey, go across the street. Go to the guest house. Go to Edison. Invest in some people that need to know about Christ. Maybe he's saying go to the next school and start Young Life there. Maybe he's saying walk across the lunchroom. Go over to that table with that kid who looks lonely. Sit down and be a friend to him. Maybe he's saying go over to that friend's house or that family member's house that you're at odds with right now and make amends. Maybe saying, do that with your enemies as well. Wherever and whenever he calls, say yes and go. Because God has promises for you, not only for you, (laughs) but for those that he will bless through you as well. And guys, communion as we come to the table today is a reminder (laughs) of a man, Jesus, who came and was obedient to a call that was really hard. And he wrestled with God about it. And he wanted another way at times. But in the end, his eyes were on things eternal and not on the things of this world. His eyes were beyond the temporary pain and discomfort of the cross because he knew that we would be blessed because of his sacrifice. And so we have an opportunity to participate in that This morning, the retelling of the story, right? To not only say, yes, God, I received that and I'm so grateful for your sacrifice and you laying your life down for me, but God, I want to do that for others. I want to be broken bread and poured out wine so that others might be blessed, that they might come to know you.
So we're going to give some time just for silence here this morning to prepare our hearts for that time. You'll be dismissed by the ushers. You can come up and tear off the bread and dip it in the cup. We also have gluten-free crackers if you need that as well. But take some time and maybe kind of, you can put those questions back up, Andy, if you didn't write those down. And, uh, and just meditate on those and see what God might have for you today and where you might need to be obedient as you move out from here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for Abraham. God, a guy that was living in a world um, where there weren't a lot of other people swimming the same direction that he was swimming. He was definitely going against the grain of the, the culture and the world and the song they were playing. He was, he was playing a different tune, trying to follow you. And Lord, many of us are in that same boat. We look around us at our school and our workplace and our communities and neighborhoods and our own family and we wonder, man, where are the other people that are living this life and, and radically just being willing to obey and go where God sends us. And so we, we find strength and community here this morning in our church family. Lord, there's things maybe you've laid on our hearts. Maybe you've laid it on for years. Maybe it's a, a new or recent calling. Or maybe you're just trying to prepare us for a calling that's going to come. And God, we want to be ready. We want to be quick to say yes. Because you're faithful. And God, as we've talked about before, uh, we, we should be the most risky, adventurous people in this world because we have this massive safety net that if we go and we fail and we screw it up, God, you're there to catch us and to pick us up and say, hey, it's all right. I'm, I'm proud of you for stepping out. Let's get up and let's go do it again and, and, and let's try to learn through the process. So Lord, protect us from fear and the ways the enemy wants to keep us stuck Keep us chained up in the life that we're in now. Keep us content in the security of the life that we've created for ourselves. God, we give you this time. We thank you for your sacrifice for us.